Welcome to Loaded and Rolling. I'm your host, Thomas Wasson. It's a new year and same background. Maybe a little bit more lit up, but first Loaded and Rolling of 2024. Welcome back, everyone. I'm going to have a really fun episode today. Big topic is going to be, of course, cybersecurity. And those of you who are just catching up or have been living under a rock, it has finally impacted the freight industry over the past few years. You got to pay attention to the few cases, but large cybersecurity attacks are on the rise. And so I felt it was important that we need to talk to experts. And hopefully today we'll learn a little bit more about not only what is going on in uh, cybersecurity and how it's impacting the supply chain, but also what to look for and hopefully maybe what to do about it if you can. Preparation is key. But without further ado, let's go and bring on our guest. Welcoming Antoine Banks, Director of Enterprise Security at the National Motor Freight Traffic Association, or NMFTA. Gotta use my phonetics on this. It's like when you're on a phone. Uh, November, Mike Foxtrot, Tar- Tango Alpha. Uh, and uh, Antoine, pleasure, pleasure to have you on. Uh, for, first off, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what the association does. Well, I'm... Um from Atlanta, born and raised in Atlanta, uh, ex-military, uh, did 22 years in, in, uh, in the military in the U.S. Army, uh, where I did cybersecurity. Um, fell in love with cybersecurity, was a part of their first cyber uh, warrior program. Uh, when I retired, I got out and came back as a DOD civilian, uh, went out to the CDC, worked for CNN, uh, the Rapid Transit Authority here in Atlanta, the rail system, and then now I'm over here at the uh, National Motor Freight Traffic Association, where we're doing research. Um, and training and providing uh, best business practices uh, and membership awareness on cybersecurity issues, uh, but, but more importantly, uh, remediation measures and things to help people prepare, um, you know, to, to defend against uh, cyber attacks. And I think that's such an important topic. And, and given your experience as well, one thing I'm curious about just starting off, you know, being from government as well as in the private sector and even between industries, uh, is the cybersecurity being viewed the same across all levels, or is this something where specific things like maybe the transit or the DOD uh, are looking at it from different lenses when we're even just trying to wrap our head around the concept? Well, I, I will say that DOD and the federal government uh, probably has, has a more focus, a uh, a higher priority, mainly because they're, they're guarding our nation's secrets. And so um, cybersecurity kind of depends on uh, the crown jewels, you know, if you have crown jewels, uh, nation state secrets, uh, secret recipes, you know, a lot of money, then your security uh, is kind of uh, associated with that, uh, with, you know, with your crown jewels. And so the trucking industry traditionally didn't see themselves uh, as a, a valuable target, but now they are. And so, you know, if I had to say, yes, the military and the government were probably uh I hate to use the word light years, but probably light years ahead on, on their cybersecurity efforts and preparation. Well, they have the their crown jewels were identified. And we're looking, I like I like the concept of crown jewels because it does visualize in terms of what am I needing to protect? What can I not let you access? For trucking historically, were there any specific crown jewels? And the second part is now that thieves are interested, do we have to have they found specific crown jewels that they're looking for? Well, it depends on who's doing the hacking. You know, uh, if you're a company that, you know, you, you, you're only moving, you know, normal freight, like uh, maybe uh, drinks and fuel, uh, then your crown jewels may, may just to a criminal, your crown jewels could be just to put ransomware on your network 
so they can monetize that attack. Uh, if you're moving hazardous waste, weapons, uh, things that are sensitive, then they they may want to uh, you know use your geolocation to uh, isolate their vehicle so they can steal your cargo. So you know most organizations should do something called a risk assessment, determine their risk appetite and what they consider their crown jewels, and put security uh, around those crown jewels that is you know commemorative of of what their crown jewels are. I think that's interesting because there was a recent report I'd read uh, earlier today that cargo theft was up like 56 or 57 percent year over year. And when I worked in trucking and transportation, it felt like my customer bill twos and my facility information wasn't that big of a deal. I'm just moving commodities. But is this one of the new, I guess we're looking at, what are we looking at right now? Uh, thieves, certain ones are going to target that information and then say, okay, now I know where you're picking up. I'm going to have someone spot it. And then that's the first step of a process that could lead to theft and other problems. Yeah, we've seen some uh, rises uh, in, in, in cargo thefts in Mexico. Hadn't heard a lot uh, in the United States, but uh, cyber criminals are looking for any way to monetize uh, their attacks. So whether or not they uh, conduct ransomware on your systems, something called business email compromise, or they convince an employee to transfer money to an unauthorized bank account, um, or whether or not they just um, steal your cargo or set up a fake website, um, have your customers go to that fake websites, put in username and credentials, and then they come back in and change the routing information. So they're just looking for any ways to monetize an attack. Uh, they're always, I hate to say it, a step or two ahead of us. Uh, and, you know, we just have to play catch up or, you know, put controls in place to try to minimize the effects. And looking at, so with ransomware is one big one, spoofing uh, and phishing with emails. Uh, is that something that, uh, does it matter on the size? So when you're looking to say if there's a profile uh, and I'm a large carrier or even a small carrier, should they all try to worry about the same things or the same approaches or do uh, cyber security folks or the cyber thieves are trying to target based on size, uh, like maybe they're more susceptible to something? Well, you have a a large group of hackers. um, Well, I say different hackers are hacking for different reasons. Uh, And most of them are looking for just targets of opportunity. So if you are low-hanging fruit uh, and they could put ransomware on your system and get $10,000, $100,000, then you are a target. So most of the attacks are similar. They're going to use uh, something called so, uh, social engineering, where they're using vision uh, and smission or standing up lookalike domains to trick your employees and customers. So they use some of the same techniques. It's just you, a smaller company may have uh, less at stake than a larger company. And I'm curious about that as well, because I feel like it opens a whole new doors, especially in billing. Uh, when I was a broker, as well as working for a carrier, uh, it was something where if you just received an email to a specific distribution, it was really easy to just assume it's okay or assume this link is okay because it matches what you're typically doing if you're getting paid or maybe your factoring company. Uh, is that something where uh, are you seeing a rise in maybe in, in that? Because that'd be one of my biggest fears is if I'm looking to attack somebody, I'm just going to send a bunch of fake spoofs from a customer that I already hacked your system. I'm going to say, hey, pay me this. I need my $200. I haven't got my uh, uh, payment yet. Business compromise email uh, is a very profitable business, probably in the trillion dollar a year business. Um, uh, my last organization got hit. I mean, almost every organization I've been at, um, and I'm gonna knock on wood, we haven't been hit. 
have been subject to business email compromise, whether or not it is sending an email to the uh, payroll personnel saying I'm, I'm an employee and I've changed my bank, send my check to this new bank, whether or not it's a third party customer saying we've changed uh, our bank, sent our new invoice uh, payment to this bank, or whether or not um, uh, I've seen cases where artificial intelligence is used to sound like a CEO or a CFO calling down to the uh, finance department saying we're going to conduct business with this other uh, company, wire them some money, you know, some um, trust money or uh, earnest money to, to, to let them know we're serious about this business. And they transfer the money because they sounded just like that CEO or CFO. So criminals use a, a wide range of ways to attack a company. But yes, transferring funds, we call it business email compromise, is a very big profitable uh, attack. And looking at your organization as well, um, NMFTA, LTL partial shipments, a lot more moving parts. Uh, compared to full truckload and other groups, is that adding extra layers of complexity? Because when I used to do full truckload, I had one shipment, one customer bill to. I could pull it up and say, oh, this is fine. But if like an LTL or a partial, I may have so many different customers in there. All it takes is me to get careless, and I'm just paying a person because it was one of the 5, 10, 20, or 50, or whatnot that was inside that same box, and it can get really complicated. Yeah, I mean, I would say smaller companies have a smaller footprint, and so um, they probably don't need to have a you know complex cybersecurity structure, but they still need cybersecurity because again, the goal of a company is to stay in business and to remain profitable. And if a hacker can uh, put ransomware, uh, send uh, payments to a fraudulent account, uh, you know they can potentially impact that business bottom line uh, and cause them to go out of business could ruin their reputation. So they still have to worry about it, but they may not have to put the same amount of resources. Smaller company may not need to put the same amount of resources as a larger carrier. And before we go into things to do, if you have something happen, looking at the nature of who is conducting cyber attacks, is this something that is identifiable state, non-state, or is there a specific thing to definitely look out for? Or is it all over the place in terms of what are the types of folks trying to uh, do these, uh, you know, the penetrations, but fraud? I mean, to the to the everyday customer, uh, kind of hard to tell who's doing it. Uh, but what I will say is, uh, most attacks attackers fall into four categories. You know, you have your your nation state. Almost every industrialized country has a cyber warfare branch. Their main goal is to uh, to uh, gain geopolitical advantage. Uh, you have your um, people who are still in intellectual property. So your competitors, uh, whether or not it's China or somebody in the United States who, who needs to uh, steal some of your secrets. Uh, they're trying to hack for intellectual property. Of course, you have your cyber criminals. They're looking to monetize whether or not through ransomware, extortion, or or just you know embarrassing you and, and putting you out of business. And then you have your hacktivists. And now because of the uh, tension in the Middle East, geopolitical situations, People are trying to advance a cause, so they may want to hit the trucking industry just to cause the U.S. pain or just because uh, a particular company may be doing business with Israel. So, you know, there are different people who are doing hacks. And then you got folks who are just uh, graduating from school. They want to uh, sharpen their skills, and they're out there just looking for targeted opportunities just to see what they can do. I remember the old days back when kids did uh, uh, is like SQL or uh, is it script kitties, and they'd basically kill these websites by doing massive 
distributed yeah. denial of service attacks. And I do wonder sometimes when they've grown up, they thought, well, I'm going to start spoofing and attacking the supply chain. Um, Activism is a cool one as well, because I'm assuming if a nation state was mad but didn't want to use their resources, they could pay a hacktivist organization and then you could kind of farm out your uh, dastardly deeds uh, and outsource it throughout the, the, the criminal enterprise. Yeah, and, and that's actually how it works. You know, Russia, uh, a lot of those cyber criminals are working uh, proxy uh, for the Russian government. So, uh, you know, they have ways to try to keep their hands clean, but they're actually, um, you know, puppet hackers for, uh, you know, the nation states. So let's say that we we do have something happens. You know, we have if we're hopefully we have a system that would prevent it. But for those smaller carriers and stuff, and and you get something like even a ransomware attack or something, what are the first steps? Because I'm assuming like you don't have a lot of leverage if someone has the keys to your your crown jewels here and they're threatening to you know get rid of all of your data, which includes you know invoices, bill twos, employee stuff, everything. Well, let's go left of the bang. Let's go before the attack. Um, it will be my hope, and uh, you know, hope is not a method, that they have done tabletop exercises and rehearsed, kind of walked through what would happen should they get attacked. And so they've done tabletop exercises. After the tabletop, they've developed incident response plans so they can know how to recover, have resiliency after the attack. So that will involve invoking their backups. Hopefully they have um, immutable backups that hadn't been overridden or infected with ransomware first because uh, a lot of cyber criminals and attackers are so malicious that they would actually go infect your backups before they hit your network. So when you try to back up, you don't have information. So should you get hit, your incident response plan kicks in, you recover uh, all your critical data, uh, and you understand your critical recovery points and critical uh, data points, uh, and you restore your operations and you can get back up uh, fairly quickly within a week. Uh, you don't want to wait till you get attacked uh, to try to work it out as you go because you're going to have customers calling, you're going to have law enforcement calling, employees are going to be calling, and you're going to try to uh, need to juggle all those things at the same time uh, while you're trying to get back up on your feet. So if you have a good incident response plan, that will help you uh, have a smooth transition and get back on your feet. And helping develop a response plan, if you're an organization, do you see a lot of them employ their own in-house cybersecurity expert or teams, or are there third-party teams in groups like a, a standard plan? I always think of the FBI hostage negotiation playbook. You know, if I get attacked, do I have to pull out the playbook, or do is there something that each one does their own? Well, it's normally a mixture. Some people have cyber insurance. Within their cyber insurance policy, they're mandated to have a third-party incident response team come in and help them. Some larger companies have their own cybersecurity teams uh, that can respond to it. So it just depends on your your, your resources that you put forth uh, for your cybersecurity. Smaller teams, smaller companies uh, won't have the resources to do it in-house. Uh, so they sometimes will uh, farm it out to a, a third party, have a uh, managed service provider monitor that network and then come in. Uh, but a lot of cyber insurance policies include that uh, incident response and remediation in those policies. I do wonder if part of those policies, and if I'm making a cybersecurity plan, so the first one is definitely think about what happens if I get attacked. That's probably a very important one. And in supply chain, people don't normally worry until it's an issue. So that's that's one of my biggest fears. But um, do we see the more savvier companies start penetration testing themselves, as in sending out phishing emails that they 
authorized, sending out ways to test their own defenses and kind of like a white hat approach, proactively test their systems? Or is that something still in other domains, maybe like a government or a private uh, business, not in the transportation? Do we see any of that kind of proactiveness? People are starting to do more and more pen tests, uh, mainly because the cyber insurance industry uh, is mandating it. Uh, they want to try to find the vulnerabilities uh, before the bad guys. So I highly recommend that all companies do a, a vulnerability assessments, pen tests, and tabletops. Um, so it just depends. You know, uh, companies that are ahead of the game uh, are doing pen tests, and then companies that are, you know, behind the game or are, are not doing pen tests and maybe are thinking about it. But absolutely, I, I, I come from a world of doing pen tests. I actually enjoy doing them, project managing, overseeing them. Uh, they, they, that's the best way to find out your vulnerabilities before the bad guy does. Right, and sometimes that vulnerability, all it needs to be is one employee who likes to click every single link or send every single forwarded thing to somebody else. And you may not know within the org, which is, you know, the people that maybe some they need corrective training because I've seen it where they send out the emails and they say, OK, take your cybersecurity test and then you just do it once a quarter. But I mean, that's is that one of the big things? It's like an 80 20 rule where you just got to watch out for that 20 percent of people in your organization that just don't pay attention. Well, I used to say that, you know, the, the hackers, um, you know, they only have to be right once to get in and we have to be right all the time to keep them out. Uh, 90% of all hacking um, is successful through uh, phishing. That's how they get in, through something called spear phishing. Uh, the other 10% is probably through some kind of misconfiguration uh, of somebody didn't secure a device or a network properly. or And then there's some zero-day attacks. And normally people don't spend a zero-day attack unless it's for a very big target. So Absolutely. They should. Uh, every organization that I've been in, I've jumped up and down and said, we need to do um, phishing tests uh, monthly. We need to grade our employees. It shouldn't be punitive, but we need to grade our employees, train them to make sure that they don't fall for phishing attacks. They don't fall for phishing attacks where someone call and, and, and try to uh, uh, over the phone convince them to do things that they shouldn't do. So absolutely that training your employees is the most important. A company can spend tens of millions of dollars on cybersecurity equipment, but if that one employee clicks on the link, then they just let them in through the back door. And I, I was thinking about something. I see clearinghouses for DOT random. So carriers typically have to randomly drug test drivers in a certain cohort. I wonder if there's something, we're seeing that now with cybersecurity maybe, where organizations will offer services and say, well, and instead of, in addition to randomly testing your drivers, you need to randomly test your staff to see if they have basic cybersecurity knowledge of what not to fall for. Is that a way that maybe businesses, uh, especially for insurance and other reasons, uh, that maybe something in the future we should be looking for? Well, I do know cyber, most, most cyber insurance policy uh, want to see your user awareness training. And within user awareness training is your phishing training. Uh, if you don't have cyber insurance, then I uh, highly recommend that you still, uh, once you find out your risk appetite um, and 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 what you can afford to, to, to be, you know, how long you can afford to be down with your systems, that you find a way to do um, phishing tests, uh, monthly, quarterly, uh, but you need to have some kind of cadence to test your employees to make sure that they are not clicking on emails. As a hacker, the number one thing that I am depending on you to do is to be too busy to pay attention to that phishing email, to uh, be multitasking, 
kind of half reading your email on your phone or on your computer, and then you click on it, and then I'm in. So you get comfortable, you get routine, and you slip up, and you click on an email. I've, I've in my earlier days, fell victim of clicking on a phishing email. Um, it was the uh, Love Me Bug back in, I think it was 2004 when it first came out, whatever, I can't remember, but I actually clicked on it. Uh, but that was at the beginning of some of the phishing exercises. But yeah, routinely test your employees. And looking into the, I have, I have a few crazy far out questions here. Five minutes left, of course, but I'm curious because uh, one thing is the the proliferation of APIs. I know people use EDIs, and so even as a motor carrier, you may have your own, you know, moat uh, secured. But is there concerns from cybersecurity that those customers that you have these API connections with that are sending you order information? Uh, your ELDs, your telematics providers. Is this another new frontier where if I'm a hacker, I may say, well, I really want to go after this carrier, but I can't, but maybe I can go after the person who makes their equipment or the person who gives them freight. Is that an avenue of approach? Yeah, if you remember Target, um, Target was breached because they went through the uh, AC vendor. Uh, so they attacked a third party and came a back door uh, from the AC vendor to target. So yes, third party risk is a very real risk. I'm actually writing some uh some papers now uh, for us to publish on third party uh risk. Uh but it is is very real and so you have to be concerned about your your APIs because as a rule anything connected to the internet can be hacked, uh can be used as a weapon uh to to attack a company. And so APIs are going across the internet. People are not properly securing them. They have zombie or are dead APIs that they're they're you know leaving around and not maintaining. We're actually uh, going to conduct a, a webinar this week on API security, and next month we're going to uh, do another one, a second one on API security. And I, and we may end up having it on our at our conference as well because again, uh, people are now integrating their systems through the use of APIs, and our attackers are now using that as a new attack vector. So I just need your key. Once I get, it could be a dead API. I just need the key. And if I have the key, I can unlock everything. That's the fear, right? I can unlock everything. And I can also get into your cloud environment uh, and still all the, the, the crown jewels in your cloud environment as well. Trucking as well, telematics data. Uh, you know, it's typically sent over, uh, you know, the little boxes and stuff are communicating. Is there ever a fear or concern that more sa savvier hackers, as we talk about autonomous and everything else, that folks will try to piggyback and intercept that data or find ways to fix the telematics so that way you could cherry pick what maybe if you wanted to steal a pallet or something. Is that something we're starting to see more complexity? Is that something to watch out for? Or is it still pretty easy, I'm assuming, just to get everything else? You don't even have to get next to a truck and steal the data. Well, that is one of my biggest fears, and that is some of the research that we're doing. Uh, trucks were never designed to be connected directly to the internet. And so because of the, um, the ELDs, um, the, the, the need to be able to, from the enterprise, reach into the truck, pull the ELD um, uh, 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 data, the trucks are now able to be hacked. You know, those networks were never designed to be directly connected. So now with the telematics devices, um, those networks are directly exposed. And so you have to uh, protect those networks. Now, we haven't seen a lot of attacks that are directly attacking trucks, uh, but our job is to do the research uh, to see how hackers could potentially uh, attack a truck network uh, and prevent it. You know, we've done some successful attacks, you know, being physically close to the networks, but never through 
telematics device, but uh, we're actually working on some of that as well. Uh, kind of sensitive at the moment and, and can't really go into details, uh, but we're just trying our best to stay one step ahead of the hackers because we know that that is a vector and sooner or later, hackers are going to figure it out. That's and my biggest... Do it before they figure it out. Yeah, I got about a minute left. Is that kind of the fearful frontier is uh, cell phone connected ELDs. All you need is a jammer. Now their logs are dead. They have to stop in a location, figure out why their logs aren't updating through the cell signal and then bada bing, bada boom. Is that one of the worst case potential scenarios? Well, to me, one of the worst case, the worst case scenarios is being able to get through those um, telematics devices and hit a bunch of trucks at the same time or stand up a uh, a juice jacking station at a large trucking um, park station. And as the drivers plug their phones up to charge their phones, uh, I put malware on those phones. They go back and plug them in their trucks. And then I can actually uh, hit those onboard uh, systems uh, when they plug those phones into the truck. So there are many avenues, and I don't want to go into too much details and, 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 and tell people how to attack a truck. But there are many ways. Uh, we're trying to do the research uh, to to uh, get ahead of the hackers. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about a lot of that at our conference um, uh, in October in, in, in Cleveland. Uh, we published a uh, paper, uh, 2024 predictions on, on uh, what we expect to happen. So, you know, go to our website and look at the, that, that paper. If you can attend our conference, we're going to have um, FBI, uh, Homeland Security, uh, we're going to have some very interesting people come in. We're going to have some case studies to talk about cybersecurity. And so we're doing our best to evangelize cybersecurity to our members. And I would say stay tuned, come to the conference, look at our website, and, uh, and, and attend our webinars. Perfect. Antoine, thanks so much for your time. I am out of time, but looking forward to seeing what you all are going to be up to as well at the conference, too. We'll definitely stay in touch and keep uh, abreast of further developments. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. That's a wrap for this show, but you can catch us every Tuesday coming up in February at 2 p.m. Eastern, changing the time back an hour, or freightways.com slash loaded and rolling. Check them out. They are the National Motor Freight Traffic Association. A lot of great stuff going on. Don't worry, folks. I'll join you next Tuesday. We'll do it live.